Hello, and welcome to episode 65 of Beekeeping at Five Apple Farm. Thanks so much for joining me. I hope this finds you well and that everyone is safe and healthy. It's getting toward the end of May, and normally, I mean, really, what is not anymore? I'm not so sure, but in the bee yard, typically, <laughs> I would be in full swing of making queens and nukes. May is usually our prime month to do all those things here in the high mountain. I'm at 3,000 feet near Mount Mitchell. So things happen here kind of last call. <laughs> we have a very short season up here compared to the rest of North Carolina. However, this has been a bizarre spring. It started out too early, got warm too early. Trees started blooming. The maples started blooming early. Bees started going crazy. It was starting to look like a bumper year. Then, as things will when they do that, it snapped back. It snapped back to normal spring. Then we got some more warmth. Looking good again, but they were under stress because there wasn't enough flow out there, I think, to keep them, to keep up with the amount of brood rearing that they were doing. And I began to see some brood pattern problems in my hives, in two of them in particular. One of them I really felt like might be having a, a reoccurrence of EFB, European fowl brood, but it was a different hive, which is really bad news. But I was keeping a very close eye on them. Um, the weather was still chilly. I think they had just gotten so much brood, they'd gotten stress. I did a mite count that wasn't it one had one mite one had zero mites though actually the worst looking one had zero mites so I took the advice of the bee inspector from last year when I had trouble with EFB and I began to feed them even though they had honey left over and between that and shaking them onto some fresh comb they look fabulous now I think that nipped it in the bud but the the poor brood pattern related to the poor flow even when they had enough leftover honey I think might be changing my beekeeping practice just a tiny bit I have not been one in the past to do early spring feeding of of one-to-one -one syrup to get them ahead of the game. Usually I'm I've been wanting to watch how they handle, how they respond to the season because I'm just doing my own backyard selection of bees that are that seem to my eye to be particularly adapted to this area and just selecting several generations each season trying to get better bees over time. So usually I don't really supplement a lot in the spring. Now of course any uh, mating nukes that I pull off to use or any just little divisions, little splits that I pull off, I do feed them because I want them to grow and not be stressed. But the big overwintered hives, usually they do okay between the leftover honey and the flow, um, in our case, usually mostly from the trees. But because of that chilly weather, we had some bloom, but it was too chilly, wet and windy for them to fly, so they missed it. Then we had the hard freeze on May 8th, Mother's Day, which did not make me happy. <laughs> it took a, a, just a ton of flowers, the garden. I won't even get into all that. What I began to see was the difference in the little hives that I'd been feeding thin syrup or one-to-one -one sugar syrup versus the big hives that still had honey. They started really just not looking well, not progressing as well as I like to see them for sure and not anything like the little splits and nukes that I was feeding. So I did start to feed everybody just to give them a boost. The turnaround was pretty instant and miraculous. The brood patterns started straightening out. They just started looking more like a good spring hive. It turned out it was a good thing I did this. Now this was just a happy accident because in our area, once it got 
uh, once they got set back, once so many of the blooms got hit by that freeze, they didn't have a lot coming in. Then we had a week of solid rain. I hope this is discouraging anybody who's considering moving to the beautiful, <laughs> the beautiful high Appalachian mountains. Uh, I want you to be discouraged if you can't handle weather like this. If you can handle weather like this year round, then come on. But um, you've you've got to handle some some ugly weather for these uh, to get those beautiful mountain summers. You have to put up with some windy cold winters and wet cold windy springs. Anyway, I was very lucky that I had started feeding because we had that week of rain. I mean, a solid week of rain. It was, there was basically 12 inches at my farm over about three days. And I heard in the area that some people's hives starved out in that one week. And what happened is they had had honey or nectar that they had put up or food or whatever the beekeeper had given them. But you get a full hive full of bees, full of brood, and then cut off all the food and they go through their stores in in no time. So some folks in the area um, lost or either nearly lost hives to starvation. I just happened to get lucky because I admit I would have not you know, it's just so not a time we usually have to worry about feeding here or checking food stores. But I got lucky and they had, I'd been feeding them just to kind of boost them over that, that bad spring hump. And as a result, they came out of that week of rain going gangbusters. (laughs) They went gangbusters. And so you know what comes next, experienced beekeepers. Sun comes out. I am out there frantically. Those hives are packed. They're packed. I got a, finally got a beautiful brood pattern. Everything is starting to look great. And so I had about two days of gorgeous sunshine. Luckily, I had some off days. I worked all day, both days, trying to get all everybody kind of fixed up and reoriented and kind of in the spring mode, giving them enough room. Some of the hives before the rain, thankfully, I had thought, you know, these guys are so, going to be so packed in here that I'm just going to give them, I mean, there's no flow to speak of, but I'm just going to give them an extra box just to spread out. And wow, am I glad I did on that. Now, the downside is um, it has started raining again. In fact, we have rain thunderstorms in the forecast for the next week, every single day. It won't rain all day, I hope to God not. I'm just about worn out of of rain and mud. Thank goodness, mud. I've got a crack in my mud boots too. Between, I don't know, I'm having some bad luck. My, My microphone fell apart. I got another one and they don't make them like they used to. They've changed the design. I don't like it as much. And then my my muck boots got a crack in them. Um, Luckily, they still have that little plastic envelope on the inside. So my feet are not getting wet, but I get to get some more of those. Anyway, it is making it very challenging. It is a challenging spring. Unfortunately, that hard freeze hit so many blooms and now the rain is hitting what for me is my primary flow in the spring, which is tulip poplar. Most delicious dark honey, my favorite, and they are very vulnerable to rain because the blooms point upward. Any amount of rain will either dilute or just completely wash out the nectar. So at this moment, it is not looking like a good honey year at all for me. I don't know. I've I've never had to feed bees this time of year. That's a new and unfortunate experience. However, I have learned now to keep an eye on if they're not getting that early spring flow, even if they've got good weight, I'm going to go ahead and feed them thin syrup just for the brood rearing effect because they really don't get on rearing brood off of old honey the way they do off the nectar flow. Of course, they're, you know, they're keyed into their environment and and that's their natural cycle. But anyway, that's a little tip that I learned almost the hard way. I feel like I caught it in time. I've not seen any 
other sign of poor brood in my yard. Thank goodness. Now in all that, believe it or not, I managed to do a few cut down splits on my, in particular, on two hives. They were overwintered hives that have the two queens that I'm most thrilled about that I definitely wanted to make daughter queens off of. They were, to me, some of the most interesting, best all-around bees I had. And watching them go through the winter was their kind of final test. And now I want to make a more daughter queens. But I didn't want to do it that early because, as you can hear from all that, we can have really tricky weather for mating queens in the spring. And I wanted, because I'm not, I don't do that many, I wanted to wait until the prime queen mating time, which is, you guessed it, usually May, but hopefully I'll get some in June. These two hives, in particular because they were special queens, I did not want to mess around and let them swarm. And because they were overwintered queens, actually, they were early spring queens last year, went through the season, and then overwintered. So they're very prone to swarming. I wanted to make sure that didn't happen. So I did cut downs on them and then just grabbed a few frames with cells, put them in queen castles just for the heck of it. And I'm glad I did because I got some beautiful daughters. I do not know how they managed to get out and get mated. Maybe I hit it right in that you know, in that intermittent sunny weather that we had. But anyway, I've got a couple of daughter queens that I'm really thrilled with. And I put the queens that I want to, the two that I want to graft from, they are each in nukes now. So anytime you have a full grown-up queen in a nuke, you have to continually be pulling frames of brood out, not all of them, but just to keep them weeded out so they won't swarm out of a nuke box. In that little setting, as long as I keep comb for her to lay in, not only can I kind of orchestrate when I put fresh comb in, actually it's not fresh comb, I pick some uh, dark, shiny brood comb, and that's the easiest to graft out of. So I'll put those in strategically and then graft from that later. But in the meantime, I just did some frame-based queen rearing, and it went well. And some of those little new queens I will use to requeen hives that I'm not, you know, the queens just are, I don't know, they're kind of putting along after all the winter and the spring, but they're not building up like everybody else. And to me, that's just uh, a signal to why not use that hive space and requeen them with a queen that looks really good. And to do that, usually I will uh, pull the old queen and then I put a piece of newspaper down and then put the nucleus that has the brand new queen that's laying and all her workers on top of that. Now, because I have the eight frames, what I usually do is just put the newspaper down, put an empty box on that, and then put her nucleus frames all in the middle there. And then once they come through the newspaper, I'll add more frames and things. But a newspaper combine is a valuable technique. Experienced beekeepers use it all the time to combine a queenless half of a hive or a queenless hive with a usually a nucleus with a queen. Once they realize they are queenless in the bottom part of the hive, if you give them um, a laying queen, an active laying queen on frames in a nucleus, I have yet to have any queen killed introduced that way. Requeening with a nucleus is super easy. So anyway, despite the weather, I have been having fun with the bees. On the rainy days, it has actually been a great time to use my wax melter. I think I might have told you guys, I definitely know I told the folks over at Patreon who get a bonus podcast. So if you're tempted to go over to Patreon and become a friend of Five Apple, 
I would appreciate that so much. And on that topic, I have reduced the cost given that there are a lot of economic hard times. And so now you can get that content over there for as little as a dollar a month. If you're having a hard time, I would welcome you to. But I'm having great time with the wallpaper steamer that I got off Amazon, put the tube, cut a piece of uh, plywood to put on top of boxes, and I can use the steam from the wallpaper steamer to melt comb right off the frames. It is lovely. Now it will melt plastic frames in a heartbeat. So you can't do plastic frames or plastic foundation. <laughs> you can do the plastic with the wood, but you won't get the plastic back. But anyway, if you have for the natural foundation, it is just lovely. It just melts right off there. I have a bucket set up underneath it with water in it and the wax. And I also have a screen in there. Just a, actually, it's a ventilated top cover, number eight hardware cloth that I just threw in there. So this is just coarse filtered. It keeps all the cocoons from coming out. And it's amazing how much, how much cocoons, how many cocoons are in there. I mean, this is old brood comb that I'm I'm recycling. I want the wax for candles. My spouse has started making candles. So now every drop of wax, I used to be so casual, I will confess, I would kind of toss away little scrapings and burr comb and this type stuff. But now I'm collecting every bit because we're going to make candles around here just for us. But you still get some wax off of brood comb, not a lot. I, I So I run it through this wallpaper steamer. As you can hear from the weather, a solar wax melter is not reliable up here in the mountains. <laughs> and on sunny days, I need to work with bees, not wax. So uh, the wallpaper steamer is great on rainy days because the bees aren't flying. If the bees are flying, they smell that wax and they just come and create a cloud and get real pesky because I'm just um, in a kind of a carport-like area. But I love the wax paper, the, I'm sorry, wallpaper steamer. It is great and a great way to get the wax. It drips out into a bucket that has water in it. And so when the wax hits the water, it just makes this big glob. It's fairly well filtered, like coarsely filtered, and then we'll filter it another time, melt it down and filter it again. But, oh, it smells so wonderful. And to be honest, I mean, I have a ton of comb I'm ready to recycle, and this is really, really a fun thing to do. Also, the side benefit is the wallpaper steam. If you leave it on there long enough, it pretty effectively sterilizes the boxes. Now, of course, this this wouldn't work if you had, God forbid, uh, AFB, American Foul Brood, but for all the more garden variety things that reasons why you would want to clean your boxes, if you leave them in 212 degree wallpaper steam for long enough, it is a pretty good cleaning job. Also, when I take them, when I quit the, when I turn the steamer off and take the boxes off right away, I go ahead and scrape them down because everything is soft, even the propolis, you get the boxes really clean. So I'm very, very happy with the wallpaper steamer setup. It gives me something productive to do on rainy days. And I've noticed I've been a lot less grumpy on rainy days that are off days um, because of the wallpaper steamer. So let me turn to some questions that have come in. I'm always happy to add your questions into a podcast. So if you have questions, you are welcome to send them to me on the Facebook page, Five Apple Honey. I'm sorry, Five Apple Farm, Bees, Honey, and More. If you're in the Patreon group, by all means, send it there. There's a messaging capacity, and I'm so glad to work with the patrons if I can. I can't do urgent, time-sensitive things reliably, but I can help you with issues you might be having for patrons over there. And otherwise, leave a message on the Facebook page or email me at blueridge714 at gmail.com, and I will try to get to your question on the show. A lot of the questions that came in recently have had to do with swarming. About to swarm, 
look like they're swarming, queen cells have swarmed, all that type thing, which is very seasonally appropriate. I will confess that swarming is something I do not often have to deal with anymore because brood breaks are one of my number one techniques in order to limit and control mites in my yard since I don't use chemicals. I am very attuned to how long it's been since that hive has had a brood break or gone through the kind of simulation of a natural swarm. In particular, since I know that overwintered, you know, full season of production and then overwintered queens that next year, they just want out of the box. So I tend to be real attuned to that. Any ones that are building out fast in the spring, I kind of mentally mark them and sometimes mark them on my list if I get around to it to do some type of a split. Even if I don't want more of that queen in particular, um, I can use, well, I mean, I can use all the pieces and parts, but if they're going to be a honey production colony, I often like to split them timing wise with the cut down to take advantage of a flow if we have one. That's kind of a long way to say if you're making a bunch of splits, if you're pulling nucleus colonies, if you're pulling the old queen in, in order to give them a brood break, then you just have a lot fewer swarms. I have not had, I mean, yes, I lose swarms for sure. Absolutely. But just not anything like the quantities I used to lose when I was trying to keep that queen in the box going, that particular queen. Now, one of my main spring things is if there's an overwinter queen, I want to do the timing of getting her out of that box into a nuke or whatever and, and letting them have that natural brood break. Or I want to, if I, for whatever reason, want to keep her in the box, then I do things like adding in a drawn comb in the brood nest to give her more space to lay, adding space in the nectar collection area to make sure they don't feel crowded. I do all those things. And my point is not that swarming it is a bad thing. It is an absolutely natural, it is a great thing for their health, but it also rolls the dice on you having bees at the end of that. And so what I've found is to artificially mimic that natural process has been the number one thing I have done that, that's made me able, combined with my isolated location, that's a big note, has made me able to not use chemicals ever uh, since I started. But about how to handle a hive that has likely swarmed. Maybe you saw the swarm leave. This is a question that came in from one of my favorite patrons and I wanted to make sure I got to it. Obviously, I'm long-winded catching you up um, and I will do more question and answer. Y'all just send them to me. But after a hive has swarmed, let's say that you saw the swarm leave. Then if you went into that hive right then, and, and you could, you would likely find cap queen cells. Typically, the swarm leaves with the mother, the old mother, the queen mother, <laughs> queen mother and and about at least a half of the hive, they go off. Hopefully you catch them. Probably you don't if you're a lucky swarm catcher. Or maybe they go to your baited swarm trap. Who knows? But anyway, you've seen them leave. And in the hive that's left behind, the poor little hive. That It's so sad to see little foragers come back like, what the heck? What the heck happened? But anyway, you will find maybe a half of your hive. And mostly capped brood because before they swarmed, they slowed the queen down from laying as part of her weight loss and, and marathon training program and capped queen cells. Now, the risk of opening that hive then is it is possible to tear into some capped queen cells because they can, if they're long enough, they can drop down between the frames and be attached to the one below. It's not the end of the world. It is very rare that they only have one or two swarm cells. If they've gone to full swarm, usually there are multiple cells. And usually those are very good quality queens. If you 
you have a bunch and have the queen castle, you know, I love this guy, you guys, you know, put that frame very gently, never shake a frame that has a queen cell on it that you want to survive. You take that frame, put it in a queen castle, put a couple of frames of capped brood in there, give them some food and wait and get a new queen. Now it takes a long time. And this is the part that I see beginners mess up on a lot. It takes a long time to get a queen back. I'm going to put a link in the show notes. It is one, it's a link I use all the time. A bee club had somebody that was savvy enough to make a queen calculator. Now it's for grafting, it's for making queens, but it is very handy if you look at that. What I did is I went in and I just put, I forget what, I, I wanted the dates to line up. You'll see what I mean when you get there. I wanted the dates to line up. So I acted as if I was going to graft on the first of a month. And then it just, you put that date in, you hit generate calendar, and it will tell you from your graft date exactly what is going on in that queen cell and the the important times like her, the sensitive developmental window that you don't want to touch the hive or the frame, definitely not the frame if you can help it, not the hive if you can help it. Um, it shows the window of time that she's most likely to be on her mating flights. That's important to note because if the weather's crappy, she may have a hard time. And then there's the timing on how soon, or I should say how long, in order to go look for eggs, and then also when to give up, you know, when to do something else, a plan B. I'm going to try to come back to that because I have a, a, something to tell you on that. What you can use it, even if you're not grafting, the handy thing about that calculator is if you look at the date, like if you just print one out as if you were going to graft or whatever, and you look at the, the date that or the number, I should say, not the date, but the number that represents a capped queen cell. Cells are capped, I believe it says. Then you can ballpark. If you saw your hive swarm, that's about the same date because typically once the cells are capped, they've left within a day or so or very close to that. So you can ballpark and then get yourself a ballpark of, okay, she's going to be going out, you know, she's going to be emerging here, which is the time that you will watch for virgin after swarm. This is a plus of going in the hive <laughs> if you've seen them swarm because there may be 22 swarm cells in there. And and you may want to take advantage of those if there's enough uh, population left. Or you may want to cut them back to like two of the best ones. Now, there's a difference here. Some people with a high risk level will cut them if, you know, I just I just can't stand to cut a swarm cell. I always stick them in a queen castle or extra box. If you leave even two, there is the possibility that when those virgins emerge, instead of fighting to the death, like we're all told they will, that first virgin will just take another batch of bees and fly away. And who knows, if you've got 22 cells in there, the first five virgins may each take tiny swarms with her and leave you with potentially nothing. And this is the downside of uh, allowing natural swarming besides the impact of your neighbors of them getting in houses and stuff or, or getting killed. Somebody land on somebody's swing set and they'd call the exterminator. But that's the downside is that the after swarms can absolutely take your hive down to zero. So to lessen that risk, you can cull some of those swarm cells, cull, try to pick the best ones, the biggest, fattest, most perfect ones. I have a hard time going down to one because there's always the possibility that that's a dud. And um, this is another reason <laughs> to convince you to pull that little frame and make a little mini nuke or a small nuke, depending on the weather, in an extra box. Because if your original hive doesn't requeen, you know, something happens, she goes out, gets beautifully mated, then on the way back, it gets snatched by a bird. Then you've got another one. You've got a plan B to another young queen to go in there. This is, the, again, the thing I love about doing conscious splits is you've still got the old queen. So if something goes wrong with the, the new queen half, 
you can simply recombine them, and the newspaper method is an easy way to do that. So after a hive has swarmed, if you are near a beekeeper, getting the dates of when things happen, and I by all means go to this link. I will have it at patreon.com. It will be free and available to everybody. It's patreon.com slash fiveapple, F-I-V-E-A-P-P-L-E, and I'll have the link to the queen calendar generator. It is a handy thing. Knowing what is going on, the timing is going to really help you to be alert of what might be going on. And then knowing the time that all hope is lost. (laughs) And this is when the time has gone by that you feel like you should have a returned mated queen and she should be laying in there, yet there's no sign of eggs. One sign, oh, and by the way, some people will say, oh, if you see pollen coming in, then then they've got a queen. That's absolutely not true. Now, mostly it's true, (laughs) but it's not true often enough that you do not need to rely on that because I think they're just little optimistic bugs. And when they think that the queen should be coming back and laying soon. They are laying the pantry. They are getting the pantry all stocked up for the future brood nest. And that does not mean that you're going to have a laying queen. The important thing that I was trying to remember a while ago is if they don't make it, if they are unable to make a queen by the end of that time, actually on that uh, calendar, you know, when it says first egg check, if you go in and you do not see eggs on that first egg check, in my opinion, it is a good time to do a test frame, and that is to take a frame of eggs and very young larvae out of another hive, shake the bees off, and put it in your frame that in your in your hive that's trying to requeen. Because if they have failed to requeen, they will begin drawing queen cells on it. So mark it in some way so you won't get confused and think this is your new queen come back. So I like to go ahead and give them a frame of brood. That way you are unlikely to develop laying workers. That's an easy way to prevent laying work. Laying workers are a sign that you have not been paying enough attention to your bees. Now, I have done that, believe me. (laughs) And laying workers are a pain in the butt, so you don't want to go there. But if you just put that frame of eggs in there, anytime you're in doubt that you have a queen, that is a safety mechanism. But the thing I was trying to remember to tell you is if they have failed to make a queen for the full, like it's about 30 days, for the full 30 days, in my opinion, that's not a good hive to allow to make a queen starting from an egg. Because think about it, they've got to go another full 30 days before really she is back and doing her thing. And in my opinion, that hive, they get one good shot. They get one full length shot at making a queen. And at that point, if they have failed, then they either, in my opinion, need a mated queen that you've bought. We are so lucky in our area now to have our own queen rearer right in Yancey County, Moral Bees, um, M-O-R-A-L-B-E-E-S. And that's Michelle Mejia. Gosh, I can't get the Spanish pronunciation right. We have a queen rear in our area. And so now instead of calling a bee store and finding out that they're not going to have queens for three weeks or calling and trying to get one shipped, all that mess. If you don't have an extra one in your own yard, then by all means, uh, call our local queen rear, Michelle, and get you a mated queen. That was a promo because I'm so excited about her business and I have an interview that I'm working on with her. She uses for her queen rearing the um, Sam Comfort hives, which are just cool. And we're going to talk about those, but that's an interview coming. Anyway, the 
the moral <laughs> of the story is, in my opinion, once a hive has gone through the full thing of trying to make a queen and failed, they are running on fumes. Any queen they make starting from an egg is going to be, it, it, it's kind of, she's a true emergency queen. She's a last resort. She's not going to be your best queen by any stretch. So I really recommend, you know, give them one shot at the end of that time. If they have not made a queen and get yourself a mated queen or combine them with something else in your yard. So if this is the perfect time, those little nukes that you made and you're like, what am I going to do with all of these splits? There you go. You just combine them with a newspaper, uh, case closed. So per usual, when I have not done a regular podcast, then I tend to run over because I just have so much to tell you. But I'll draw it to a close here. The show notes I will post will have more resources on swarms, dealing with them. If you're a beginner, some of these are fairly advanced, so don't freak out. But I, but the more advanced people, there's some cool information in these. I've got one from the uh, Welsh Beekeeper Association. It's a whole booklet, and they do things a little different in some spots, but there's so much good information in there. I'm going to put it up. Okay, you guys have a wonderful week. I promise, as best I can promise, that I will not wait so long to do a podcast. All right, bye-bye.